0: It's good to be with you guys this morning. It's an honor to share God's word with you this morning. Uh, Pastor Doug and his family are on vacation down at the beach, and we're super glad that they get to do that. They very much deserve uh, that time off, uh, and we're praying for them that this is a good time of restoration for them. Uh, and so we, uh, if you would as well be praying for them that this is a, a joyful time for them. Uh, we're starting a new series uh, starting today, the But God series for the summer, and uh, this is a series that we're awfully excited about. These are the different types of topics that we'll be covering and things that will be a part of our lives uh, at some point or another, and today's uh, topic is families are dysfunctional, but God, Right? And this is a topic, I gotta be tell, I gotta have to tell you, this is a topic that hits home hard. And I'll say for, for me too. For me too. Every family has some sort of dysfunction. Every family. But God. There is hope. I believe that as believers, every single day we are faced with a choice. We are, we are faced with an ever-present danger of compromising with this world right from the time that we wake up. Whether it's on television that we may watch, whether it's something we've seen reported through the news, something we read from the world, maybe movies or cartoons, maybe the shows that we watch, or maybe things that politicians may say. Through these and other interactions with the world, we are being taught. We are being taught in a way, in a certain way, as to how to think about ourselves. What we think of our identity. What to think about human beings. We're being taught by the world about what to think about family. What to think about our children. What to think about parenting. What to think about what's happening in the world, in the way of the world. Every single day, through different channels, we're being taught to react to the circumstances, whether we like it or not. As believers, we are faced with the challenge of, do we listen to what the world continuously says to us and compromise Or do we listen to what God has to say from this from his word and hold fast to his word and and hold fast to who Jesus is and, and then live faithfully according to his ways and for his glory? It's my belief that circumstances, though, are not what brings these messes into our life that the, or that the circumstances around us uh, cause these messes i don't think it's circumstances at all actually it's people it's people that cause messes in our life at least most of the time and usually at the top of that list it's not strangers that causes these messes in our life it's people It's people that we have close relationships with, people that we love deeply, or even more than that, it's family. And so we're going to be talking about the family this morning, and I can already sense the excitement in the room, (laughs) because family can cause all kinds of hurts in our lives. And these hurts can cause us to walk around with, with scars and wounds because of family. And here's the thing about family. We're connected to them in a whole different way, aren't we? It's on a whole different level. They are literally part of us. They're part of our blood, They're in our bloodline. And so the pain that happens through family is, it hurts a little bit more. Than anybody that isn't in our family. Because we're connected to them in a deeper way. And I'll tell you, I believe that the devil wants to tell us that when it comes to family issues, that we're the only ones that have these kinds of issues. The devil wants us to think that we're the only dysfunctional family. Every other family... They just—they love to get, get together for Thanksgiving, you know. Right? They love to to sit around the table and talk about Democrat and Republican opposition. Right? We just love that, right? Or, or other families like you—not know, us, but other families—like to get together uh, for Christmas dinner. But some are not believers, and it's really kind of awkward. The devil wants to tell us that we're alone in all of this dysfunction. And that everybody else is happy. Everybody else never fights. There's never an issue. Right? But it's not true. One of the things I love about community groups is that this seems to happen a lot, that someone would bring uh, a topic up, something that they're struggling with, And, and you could almost sense in their voice that they, that they feel like they're the only ones that are going through something like this. And then, you know, everyone begins to share and they're like, no, I, I, I know what you're going through. Like I'm walking through this or I've walked through this at some point in my life. It's a beautiful, wonderful way to love one another. And we should seek godly people to share what's going on in our lives. And seek godly counsel. But I'll tell you this too. We don't have to look very far in the Bible to see, to see you know, dysfunctional families. In fact, we don't even have to look halfway into the Bible or into the New Testament. We really only have to go to the first couple of pages. The first family ever was the first dysfunctional family. We made it just one, right? Just one, right? And Adam and Eve, when they sinned, what did they do? They threw each other under the bus. It's like, you know, uh, his fault, her fault, right? And And then they have kids, right? They have Cain and Abel. And what happens there? Murder, right? The first family, there's murder. It doesn't stop there. It's everywhere in the Bible. Even Abraham had sons from two different women. And here's the kicker. It's his wife's idea. Noah, he gets drunk and naked. His son laughs at him, and so Noah curses his son. Esther's an orphan. She doesn't even have parents. David's son killed his other son... Because the other son raped his sister. Right? These are just just some of the dysfunctional families of the Bible. The stories are so outlandish and so crazy that if they weren't in the Bible, you 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 would think they were unbelievable. So here's the thing. As you're listening today, I want you to know that you are not alone in it. And so my prayer... For you this been this week and as I've been preparing this. Is if some way that this message would allow for some deliverance. And that there would be healing. Of a lot of heavy hurt and pain. That you might have today. Or what's for whatever's going on in your family. And that you too. Could have your very own but God moment you see I believe that there is a war going on with the family there is a war on the family and Satan is systematically trying to dismantle the family the first institution of God ever created was the family and he did that into in the garden of Eden and he did this to meet the 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 deepest spiritual, psychological, emotional, and physical needs of mankind. Family is an institution of God. And God formed the family before he formed government. He formed the family before he formed education. He formed the family before he formed the church or anything else. The, the basic unit of society is the family. And so it's little wonder why there is such a war on the family. So you might be thinking, yeah, I know it's been against your family. I know. Mine too. Every family is dysfunctional. I remember when I was growing up, there was always, uh, when something went wrong, there was somebody would say, yeah, I know, Murphy's Law. You remember that? Murphy's Law had, he's, he was, this guy was this, uh, he was the ultimate pessimist. Murphy's uh, had some laws that he called Murphy's Laws. So here's here's the first one. If anything can go wrong, it will. Nothing is ever as simple as it seems. Everything takes longer than you expect. Last one. If there is a possibility of several things going wrong, the one that will go wrong first is the one that will make the most damage. And guys, I want to tell you something. As I looked at this, I believe... That the devil has used Murphy's laws to be accepted in all of the world, to uh, the world culture, to break down the family. But God, we're going to be talking about just a piece of the life of Jacob and what that means for us. And before we do, we have a creed that Pastor Doug is, has us say every week that we love. And we're going to say this creed together. This is a creed that we say about what we feel about this book, what we think about the Bible and how we love it. So if you know this creed and you can say this creed with me, say it with some conviction. The Bible is the word of God. The truth of the Bible will change my life. Lord, open my heart and awaken my mind and give me grace to respond. Change me for your glory and my joy, amen. I know that that was kind of a a long intro uh, before I got to the text. Uh, and I, I want to tell you that today's message is actually not very long at all. Um, but I want to ask you for your undivided attention. And I want to ask you to set your appetite on God's word this morning. I have a couple of verses that I it just came into me constantly as I kept, uh, preparing this. These two verses were important to me, and I believe I just wanted to, God wanted me to declare these verses over this message today. Here's the first one. Isaiah 55, 11 says this, So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing too to the vision of the soul and of the spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning of the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Those verses I'm praying will be on your hearts as we go through this message today, we're going to be in the book of Genesis, but first we're going to look at one verse very quickly. I'm not even going to ask you to go there because it'll be so quick. Uh, it's one verse. It's in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 20. It will be on the screen. It's a very quick, short verse. It says this. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. Just one short verse in the New Testament, but it relates back to an incredible amount of, of uh, material in the Old Testament. So go backward with me to Genesis chapter 25. Now, this is an incredible story of a dysfunctional family. But God was in it all. We're going to see that there is an abounding grace in this family And that grace was for you too. Genesis chapter 25, we're going to be in verse 21. Uh, In the Bibles that are in front of you, it's on page 18. Page 18, those Bibles are a gift to you. If you don't have a Bible, you can take that with you. All right, verse 21. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah his wife conceived. The children struggled together with her, and she said, If if, if it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. When her days to give birth were completed, both, uh, behold, there were twins in her womb. So Isaac had a precious wife named Rebecca, uh, and Rebecca prayed, and Isaac prayed uh, that they might have children. And God answered that prayer uh, and opened Rebecca's womb, and so she had twins, verse 25. The first came out red, all his body like a hairy cloak, so they called him his name Esau, which means hairy. After his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel, so his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. So now twins are being born. The first one is red and hairy. Uh, the second one comes out. We'll, find, we'll see later in the text that, that he's very smooth uh, skin, uh, but, he, but that little guy is holding on to the, to the twins' heel, and so they called him Jacob, which is supplanter, or it just means someone that follows on someone else's heels. Okay. So, and it says Isaac was sixty years old. Verse twenty-seven. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field. While Jacob was a quiet man, dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game. But Rebekah loved Jacob. So two twin boys, they're they're clearly not identical twins. And already we're going to find out that there's trouble brewing in the family. okay? Because there's preferential treatment going on. And there's a a playing of favorites uh, going on, okay? Now, the father favors Esau, okay? And the mother, well, her favorite is Jacob, okay? And and Jacob's kind of a, a mama's boy, if you will, okay? All right, let's look at verse 29. Once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field, and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew for i am exhausted jacob said sell me your birthright now esau said i am about to die of what use is a birthright to me jacob said swear to me now so he swore to him and sold his birthright to jacob then jacob gave esau bread and lentil stew and he ate and drank and rose and went his way thus esau despised his birthright. So Jacob uh, was a homebody, right? And so he learns to cook. And Esau is this hairy, uh, hairy red uh, hunter. He's a he's a man's man, right? He's a uh, he's a man, he's a hair on his chest and hair on his back, right? He's a man's man. He loved to go out and he loved to shoot things. So so one brother's uh, instinct was to kill, and the other man's instinct was to protect. And so these two brothers, they're going in very different, uh, divergent ways. And Esau, he's been out in the field, and he's been hunting, and he comes home, and he is bone-weary. Okay? He is hungry. To say he's hungry actually is an understatement. He is worse than hungry. He's hungry. Hangry, right? We've heard this, right? Have any of you been hangry before? Yeah, I know my wife has. And that's how dysfunction begins. (laughs) But he's hangry and he wants something to eat. And about that time, something comes to his nostrils. It's this whiff of this glorious stew and Jacob cooked that stew, and we don't we don't know uh, if he did that on purpose to kind of entice uh, Esau. We, we don't know, but I'm guessing. You know, we see it has a, a base of lentils, but it probably had some potatoes in there. You know, it had some onions. It, it probably had some garlic and some oregano, and 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 so it's just simmering there on the pot. And and Esau's like, Hey, buddy, share some of that stew with me. And he said, no, this is for this is not for you. This is for me. He's like, hey, look, man, I'm about to die here. Give me some of that stew. He says, no, it is for me. He said, look, man, you don't understand. I am hungry. I want that stew. So Jacob says, oh, really? How bad do you want it? Right? He says, I tell you what, you give me your birthright. And you can have the stew. And the Bible says that Esau traded that stew and that Esau despised his birthright. So now what's the birthright? Well, in, in this time, this, was, uh, uh, this normally meant that the birthright was going to go to the elder son, the oldest son. And Esau was the elder son because he was born before his twin Jacob. But God had said that the birthright was to be gone to the younger son, okay? And so in this instance, because God is overruling that tradition, okay? So the birthright, birthright was going to go, be given to the younger son. And so Jacob uh, says, if you, know, uh, you, you want some of this stew, then let's make a deal, right? I get the birthright, you get the stew, and we both get what we want. And I think Esau actually at this point would have given anything for that stew. So he just says fine, and he sat down and he drank, and he, you know, he ate that stew with some bread, and that was the deal. Now the birthright was the blessing of Abraham. God had called Abraham and said, Abraham, I'm going to make a blessing to all the nations of the world. And that blessing is going to come through your descendants. And so the first descendant was Isaac. And now the next descendant is going to be Jacob. And then from Jacob, it's going to come his sons, which will make up the 12 tribes of Israel. And then on and on till you come to Jesus. This is the blessing of Abraham. It involved protection. It involved prominence. And it involved prophecy. It involved all of these things wrapped up in this blessing called the birthright. So now the stage is set. And these two brothers have gone and have done this deal. Now, the irony of this thing, again, is the birthright already belonged to Jacob. And so the first thing I want you to see here is the failure of a dysfunctional family. If there was ever a a family that was considered dysfunctional, it was this family. And I'm not even touching the surface of the dysfunction today. I would encourage you to read more about this story. Now look over it, uh, a couple of pages over to Genesis chapter 27, verse 1. This is on page 20. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son, and he answered, Here I am. He said, Behold, I am old, and I, I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons your quiver and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt for game, and prepare for me a delicious food, such as I love, and bring it to me so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Now Rebecca was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for for game and bring it. Okay, now there's a there's a drama That's unfolding here. And the stage is set. And on center stage. Are these four individuals. uh, That make up the core of this dysfunctional family. So first of all you have this. I'm calling him the sensual father. I'll explain that in a moment. Sensual father. That's Isaac. Okay. Isaac says. Esau go out and kill me some venison. And bring it to me. Savory meat. that I may eat and that I may bless you. According to God's plan, he's going to bless the right son, but that's not his intention. He's trying to bless the wrong son. And if you were to continue reading in this passage of scripture, the words savory or meat or venison appear about 20 times. This was a man that was given over to his appetite. To his senses. So I'm calling him the sensual man, okay? He does not have his eyes on the things of God. As a matter of fact, he's trying to override the things of God to satisfy his own appetite. Now, fathers, I want to say this to you. This is not something that occurs just in history here. This is a lesson for you. The world tells our fathers that it's okay to listen to your senses. And Isaac at this point is doing the same thing. He has his own plan for his children and he hasn't sought the will of God for them. Men and women around the world are mastered by their senses and by their own Appetites by alcohol, drugs, sports, business, money, pleasure, sex, whatever it is. These are sensual parents who are heading up a dysfunctional family. And they're causing a lot of pain to the family. And here was Isaac. A man who had been a spiritual man, who in his old age became a carnal man. If you were a sensual father or mother, you were living for the things of this world. And I believe that it will always, always lead, at some point in your life, that when all those things that you thought were important will not seem so important anymore. But here is Isaac and he's a sensual father. And so he's the first person of the drama. Now enter the second person, it's the scheming mother. That's Rebecca. Now she's been eaves- eavesdropping and so she decides that she's uh, that she's going to contravene into what Isaac is planning. okay she's not communicating with her husband or attempting to do what is right. She is outside of the will of God because she's trying to do a right thing the wrong way. Now Genesis twenty seven verse six let's continue. Rebecca said to her son, Jacob, I heard your father speak to your Brother Esau, bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless bless you before the Lord before I die. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two good young goats so that I may prepare for them from them delicious food for your father, such as he loves. And so she's saying, Jacob, go get me two really tender little goats uh, and I will make them savory meat uh, for your father. And I will make it the way he likes it. You know, she's like, I know how to fix it for him. I know how to fool your father. And he will think it's venison when I get done with it. I know how to do it. So maybe she's some sort of culinary expert. I don't know. But she takes these two little young Tender little goats, and she maybe mixes them with some carrots and and different things, some onions, potatoes, and oregano, and spices, and garlic, and cloves. Mixes that all together and serves it to him. And he would think it's the best venison he ever had. Verse 10 And you shall bring it to your father to eat, so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall feel, seem to be mocking him and, and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. His mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go, bring them to me. So now the birthright, remember, already belonged to Jacob. Rebekah was trying to do the right thing, but she's trying to do the right thing the wrong way. She's become dishonest. Listen to me, let me tell you something. The devil, if he can't get you to do the wrong thing, he'll try to get you to do the right thing the wrong way. And here's something for you mothers. Here's this mother who is scheming. And and, and she's trying to protect her son. And in doing so, she lost the very son that she was trying to protect. And these actions will cause Jacob to be driven from home. And Esau will be hot on his trail, ready to kill him. Ready to murder Her favorite son that she loved. And she will never in this lifetime see him again. She will never hold him. She will never hug him again. She will never kiss her grandchildren. She loses by scheming the very thing that she's trying to get. Moms, the best thing that you can do to keep your children is to point them to the To show them the way to God. Teach them to trust him. So you have the sensual father, you have the scheming mother, and now there's the third participant that comes into this drama. We'll call him the shady son. If there's ever a guy that seems shady, it's, it's Jacob. But Jacob actually wanted to do the right thing. He had a heart for God, but he couldn't trust God for it. And by trying his own way, you know, he tried to do this without, you know, rather than trusting the Lord. So he begins to get into this deal where he trades for the stew and the birthright uh, that was already his. And he deceives his father to get it. And so he, I think he's like a lot of Christians today who are trying to be scheming their, you know, their own way, following their own senses, When they ought to be trusting God and putting things into the hands of God. You see, God has blessed us, too. We, too, have a birthright. Ephesians 1, verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing, in the having heavenly places but there are many christians and maybe even somebody here today are a lot like jacob trying to get the right thing the wrong way the birthright was his he was fighting a battle that had already had a victory it had already been won Murphy's Law is not true. I desperately want you to know that the victory of God has been given to you through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, so you've got the sensual father, you've got the scheming mother, the shady son, and now the worldly brother. He's the last one. That's Esau. Genesis chapter 27, verse 30. Let's continue. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. He also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, let my father arise and eat of his son's game that I may that you may bless me. His father, Isaac, said to him, who are you? He answered. I am your son, your firstborn Esau. Then Isaac trembled very violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate it all before you came, and I, and I have blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, even, even me uh, also, O oh my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully, and he has taken away your blessing. Esau said, Is it not right? Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright, and and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. Then he said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? Isaac answered and said to Esau, Behold, I have made him Lord over you. And all his brothers, and I have given to him for servants. And with grain and wine, I have sustained him. What then, I, what then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O oh my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Now here was a man who is living for the things of the world. He cared not for the birthright. Now, as I said, Jacob at least had a heart for spiritual things. At least he wanted the birthright. He cared. Esau despised it. And now he's weeping. He's not weeping because he's lost the birthright. He's weeping because he lost the influence. He lost the possessions and the power that may go with it. His sorrow, his sorrow is the is the sorrow of remorse, not true repentance. So this is a pretty messed up family. But God was at work in this family. And God did something special for this family that I want you to see. And God has done something special for you too. So that was the failure of the dysfunctional family. Let's look at the faith of a disciplined father. Notice that when Isaac realized what had happened, he comes, so he comes in here, he eats the venison, and he thinks it's wonderful. He smells the clothes that are on Jacob. Because remember Rebecca uh, was putting these uh, uh, hairy coats on Jacob, and, and and Isaac holds him, touches him, and he smells of the field. He's a he's you know he's the man. He's an outdoorsman, and he smells the woodsy smell on his clothes. And then he feels Jacob's hands, and remember Rebecca had taken the goatskins of the of a goat, and he put those. She had put those goat skins on his hands on the back of. Uh, uh, of them and, and Jacob's smooth hands put them on And on the nape of his of his neck And so Isaac Is listening and he's feeling and he's touching And he's smelling All of his senses are deceiving him And as far as he knows He's blessed the wrong son But then it dawns on him What he's done And the Bible says that he trembles exceedingly so much so that he's shaken to the core god has now shown him how foolish he's been he's been under now he's under tremendous conviction because god has chastised him and now he he realizes how just how deliberately he has tried to override the will of god and for what His own selfish, carnal reasons to bless the wrong son. And God brings him to repentance and faith. Now, that tells me that Isaac really did love the Lord. Isaac was a great man. Isaac was the one who typified Christ. If you know the story, Isaac was the one who allowed his hands and his feet to be bound and laid at the altar... In obedience to Abraham. He was the one that saw the ram slain in his stead. But now in his old age. He's getting away from God. I think some of you. Some of you used to love God. With a burning flaming passion. Now you're listening to the way of the world. But want, God wants you to go out into the world with a flaming bl- a torch, blazing, all the way to the end. Isaac got away from God and started following the way of the world, and I'm so thankful that he. God brought him back, brought Isaac back. Isaac comes back to the Lord, and now he's been disciplined, and he realizes how his senses had deceived him. Listen, you know what? If you want to know the will of God, you must walk in the Spirit. Because if you don't, your senses will Deceive you. Let me tell you how Isaac was deceived. He thought he was going to die, but he lived another 80 years. He thought he, that that goat meat was venison. He, he thought that Jacob's hands were Esau's hands. Even his sense of smell deceived him. But God had not stopped working. And where sin has abounded, grace has abounded much more. And so we've, we've talked through the failure of the family and how we, it, you can see that it completely can cause a dysfunction of the family. The second thing we, we saw was the fate of a disciplined man. God disciplined the father in this family and thank God that he did. And God may be ready to discipline you. God loves you too much to let it go on. Here's the third thing and final thing. It's the forecast of a determined future. The very first verse that we read today was in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 20. The Bible says that by faith, by faith, here, here, here was a man who blessed Jacob and Esau concerning the things to come. Our future here is also forecasted. Look, if you will, with me to Genesis chapter 28, verse 4. It says, May he give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you, that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. Now here's the point. God is always working. He is always with us. In spite of all that Jacob and Esau could do, Jacob got the blessing anyway. In spite of all that Isaac and Rebekah could do. Jacob got the blessing anyway. Now here's the point. Mankind may rule, but God will overrule. This is the sovereignty of God. Let me give you two verses here to support this. Proverbs 19 verse 21 says this. Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Psalm 33, verse 10 says, The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing, he frustrates the plans of the peoples. Thank God he does. Let me ask you something, though. Were all these characters that I've talked about today responsible for their actions? Absolutely. Was Isaac wrong to be sensual? Yes. Was Rebecca wrong to scheme? Yes. Was Jacob wrong to deceive? Yes. Was Esau wrong to despise the birthright? Yes. But God is working And God is ruling over all. And how does that apply to us? You see, God made a promise to Abraham. God said, Abraham, all the nations of the world will be blessed. God gave the blessing to Abraham. And Abraham is giving the blessing to Isaac. Isaac is giving the blessing to Jacob. Jacob is giving the blessing to his son, Judah. And out of Judah is going to come the house of Jesse. Out of Jesse is going to come David. Out of David is going to come the lineage of Mary and Joseph. And out of the lineage of Mary and Joseph is going to come the Lord Jesus Christ. God is at work. And he is ruling over all and all hell cannot stop it. And will not stop it. You want to do your best to prevent a dysfunctional family? Hold fast to who Jesus is and live faithfully according to his ways and for his glory. Now to do this, we have to do something kind of difficult. We have to deny ourselves and live for him and others Jesus strongly pronounced this to the disciples in Luke chapter 9, verse 23. He said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. We need to deny ourselves. And if you're thinking, "I, I denied myself long ago. It's not enough. It says daily for a reason. denying ourselves it is the opposite of selfishness and then Jesus also said that the two greatest things that we can do in life is to love god and to love our neighbor and he made that very clear if we would do these things if if we would he, he would help us to be able to overcome all of the the characteristics and the temptations Of the dysfunctional family. We must have God in the center of our home. God has to be at the center of our hearts, the center of our thoughts, the center of our passion. We need to deny ourselves and put God at the center of our lives. And the more that we can know God, the more that we can defeat ourselves. Seek God and seek his will. And the more likely that our homes will be filled with joy. Will you resolve in your hearts today that if any of these signs of a dysfunctional family exist in your home, Will you say, God, would you help us to get rid of them? Would you help us to be able to address these things and forsake those sins? Will you resolve to communicate with your loved ones? Will you resolve to make the changes that you need to make so that we can have a home that is pleasing to God? Romans 5.8 says this, but God shows His love for us that in while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The world wants to divide the family of God from God. The world wants to divide us. There is a chasm of sin. But the Lord Jesus Christ hung on a cross and before he willingly died, Jesus said, it is finished. Nobody cheered. Those moments winning the greatest victory in the history of the world. And in doing this, Jesus brought together our souls in the fellowship of the Father. And on the cross, he reconciled God and mankind.